staff members to join our team, and I want you to know we're about to begin a national search uh, to hire a younger guy to join our teaching team, uh, a guy to become one of our teaching pastors. Now, Lon and I are not announcing our retirement. We're going to be here uh, for a number of years, Lord willing, but we do need to prepare for the future because Lon and I are not getting any younger, right? And so we need uh, to bring a younger guy in. Wait a minute, what am I missing? <laughs> we need to bring a younger guy in that's going to really connect with you. So many, of the, the largest demographic in our church is young families uh, to connect with you. So here's why I'm announcing this. I want you to pray. I want you to pray that God's going to lead us to a fantastic spirit-filled man, all right? Okay, that was pathetic, all right? All right, let's pray. We'll be praying. Now, we are in a series on this little New Testament letter called 1 John. I happen to think it's one of the most overlooked and underappreciated letters in the New Testament. So part of the reason we're doing this series is to help you to change that, to understand it. I believe 1 John is pure gold because it's all about the two greatest experiences Christianity offers the world. The two greatest opportunities, if we will take them to heart, that can change any life and fill any life, no matter how bad, how difficult, uh, with purpose and meaning and hope and joy. But if we neglect these realities, these two realities, and this is exactly what we're seeing throughout the world today, starting with the West, what will happen is our, our, our culture will become so eroded, so diminished, our places where we work, the community that we long for, the health of our families, so diminished, so eroded, uh, that what is beautiful about the human experience will become less and less our experience. So these two experiences, these two opportunities, these two realities that John develops and speaks to over and over are loving God and loving others. These are the two pillars of civilization. And the reason things are changing so rapidly is because the foundations are crumbling. John speaks into this. It is so relevant for today. Nothing, nothing is more important than these two, loving God and loving others. Nothing, nothing is more important than understanding what Christianity teaches about loving God and loving others. So today, as we move into chapter 2, I want to do three things. I want to talk about our confidence, our character, and our love. Now, confidence and character deal with loving God. Our love here in John chapter 2 deals with loving one another, how we love one another. So let's begin in verse 3, 1 John chapter 2. We'll put it up on the screen. Um, follow me as we read. We know that we have come to know. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. 
But anyone who obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete, full in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him, that would be Jesus, or God rather, I'm sorry, must live as Jesus did. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one. What you have had since the beginning, the beginning of your conversion, the beginning of the moment you came to Christ. This old command is a message you have heard, yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him, in Jesus, and in you as Christians. Because, yeah, I agree. (laughs) Because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. This is a Christian position, by the way, on racism. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. So let's start with confidence, the first of these three. Our confidence is our assurance of salvation. This is the first part of verse 3. It's the beginning when John says, we know we have come to know. Now this is an incredible claim, an amazing claim. This is a distinctive of Christianity. Something that Christianity, I want to say, uniquely asserts. Because John claims we as Christians can know with certainty that we are Christians. We can know it. And so this is the doctrine of the assurance of salvation. And what does that mean? What it means is not merely possible to know God, have a relationship with God through the work of his son, Jesus Christ, but we can be certain of it. We can be certain we have a relationship. We can be assured. We can have the joy, the confidence that will carry us through anything so that no matter what, we always, always know we are God's. Assurance of salvation. Now, we see the same thing stated just a little differently in chapter 5. Look at verse 13. John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, this was a real struggle for me the first 12 months I was a Christian when I came to Christ in college. And I... My life, I mean, from the moment I came to Christ, my life radically changed. I was totally different in so many ways. But on the inside, I was struggling. Well, how do I really know for sure I'm a Christian? And I had these doubts and these questions, and I was confused, and I was struggling. I didn't know that I could know. So I went to see my pastor in Dallas. And he took me to 1 John 5.13. And he asked me a question. Uh, The question was, Rob, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Fully God, fully man. I said, yes. 
He said, uh, he asked, do you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins? I said, yeah, absolutely, man. I'm all in about this. And then he said, but look at this verse closely, 1 John 5, 13. Notice that John doesn't use the word hope. He uses the word no. He doesn't say, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may hope, like maybe, but that you may know that you have eternal life. And then he looked me right in the eye and he said, Rob, you need to enjoy your salvation. Be certain, be confident. And I want to tell you, 1 John 5, 13, and his words to me, enjoy your salvation, changed my life. And I have never since then, and it's been decades, doubted whether or not I'm a Christian. Do you know that you know? Do you have this assurance? Go back to chapter 2. This word know is a rich word. Uh, this, the Greek word behind it uh, refers to uh, head knowledge and heart knowledge. Knowing with our hearts, knowing with our heads. Knowing objectively and knowing experientially, subjectively, internally. That Christianity is true. Actually, what's fascinating is the Old Testament Hebrew word for know refers to such an depth and intimacy of knowledge that it's used to describe the sexual relationship between a husband and wife. It's not merely knowing facts about God, but deeply experiencing intimacy with God. If you will, the Hebrew word is a word for penetration. You penetrate into the experience of the living God. You have a relationship. It's knowing God with your head, is knowing God with your heart. Now today, people don't like this. Even many of us as Christians miss this. So I'm going to drill down for a little bit on this. Uh, people say, you know, this is impossible. You can't know for certain. Or people think, you know, I'm really not worthy. I mean, look at how crummy I am some of the time. Or other people say, you know, this is the height of arrogance. You Christians, you know, you're such absolutists. Now, there's a lot of factors behind those criticisms, but let me divide, at the risk of oversimplification, them into two camps. One is, when it comes to Christianity, Many people in our culture experience Christianity only externally. It's part of their cultural tradition. They go to church. They try to obey the Ten Commandments. But if you were to ask one of these persons, are you a Christian? Do you know that they, you know you're a Christian? Uh, they will hesitate and they will shut you down. Why? Because there's nothing going on on the inside. Their approach to Christianity is purely external. Others err in the opposite direction. And their approach to religion, their approach to Christianity, even Christianity is purely internal. It's inward. It's experiential. It's about feelings and emotions. 
And if you were to say to them, no, there's objective truth in Christianity, historical uh, uh, fact, they would be offended. Because they don't believe in absolute truth, they just are lost in experience. So when you say to them, hey, you know, Christianity is objectively true, like gravity is true, man, they run for cover. So we have these two sides, an objective experience and a subjective experience, external and internal. And for totally different reasons, they both insist you cannot know that you know. Why? Because they only have one half of Christianity. And John's point in the beginning of chapter 1 is, man, I'm an eyewitness. I saw Jesus, I heard Jesus, I touched Jesus. I lived and ministered with Jesus for three years. There are many of us that are eyewitnesses. And then he goes on in verse 3 of chapter 1 and says, but in addition to that, we've had an experience with Jesus. We know Jesus. We have a relationship with Jesus. And he bounds all that in the word fellowship, our fellowship with the Father and his son, Jesus Christ. And we want you to have that experience as well. And then when we come to our verse and we have this word no no is both an external experience based on external facts external realities and an internal subjective reality now when we know that christianity is both objectively and subjectively true and when we experience it we know that we know and man i want you to know that you know I don't want this to be an external kind of moralistic thing for you. I don't want it to be just, a, you know, how you're doing based on your feelings or the, the, the most recent bad thing that happened to you. Here is why this doctrine of the assurance of salvation matters so much. Because it fuels the fire of sustainable, permanent, out-of-this-world joy in our life. It, it fuels the fire of a peace that per, surpasses understanding. It gives us the confidence and the courage to press into and, and to move through life's most difficult, darkest hours. But if you and I don't have this confidence, we don't have this experience, this knowledge that Jesus is mine and I am his, and that is true forever then when we bump into circumstances, we bump into situations, man, our ability to tap into the resources of all that we have in Jesus Christ will be limited, and our fears and our anxieties and our doubts will lead us for breakfast. We don't know that we know. But look at Romans chapter 8. Isn't this why we love Romans chapter 8 so much? Just a couple of verses. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? I mean, how about trouble? How about the hardship you're going to face this week? Or the persecution or the famine or the nakedness? Paul's experience was so destitute that he at times didn't even have clothes. Or the danger of a sword. Or danger and a sword. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels, demons, present 
or the future. Any powers, any powers. Neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation. All of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What enabled the Apostle Paul to keep on keeping on when he was just repeatedly hammered, repeatedly persecuted, repeatedly rejected? The knowledge that he was pleasing to God. Paul, the knowledge that nothing could separate him from the love of Christ. And his assurance of his salvation, his confidence welled up as a supernatural experience in his heart. So it did not, it did not matter what happened to him. His confidence, this assurance, this spiritual confidence, this spiritual assurance was Paul's lifeline. Is it yours? Do you know that you know he will never leave me nor forsake me? Never, never. So say you're struggling with a marriage issue and there's a part of you that wants to give up. Or maybe you've got a thing going on in your family with one of your kids or a a best friend or something and man, you've just hit a wall and you don't know what to do and you're so discouraged. Maybe uh, you feel impotent at work, impotent at work. Or you feel choked by a financial situation or a health thing. And you're struggling, you're you're struggling. The knowledge that nothing will separate us from the love of God. Uh, The knowing that we know changes everything. I want you to know that you know. Do you? 1 John is the best book in the Bible, bar none, on the assurance of salvation. Now sometimes, as we travel through life, we will experience uh, this confidence intensely. Other times it'll be faint. It'll be like a a murmur. So much depends on our our feelings, our, our experiences, what's going on uh, around us, a stress in our life, how tired we are. But always, always, regardless, underneath is this platform, this foundation that Jesus is mine and I am his. And he loves me. I please him. Now let's go on. Beginning in the second half of verse 3 all the way to the end of this section, verse 11, John gives us two tests to help us know that we know. The first is a character test. The second is a love test. And I want to spend most of my time with the time I have left on this character test. The character test is found in the second half of verse 3 through verse 6, this first paragraph. And what John is saying is our character is our obedience. This is verse 3 through verse 6. Now a little context helps here because what was going on in the first century is that these false teachers had come in and 
apparently they had split the church. That's what John will say later in chapter 2 and verse 19. And so all sorts of people had left because they embraced the teaching of the false teachers. What was the teaching of the false teachers? It was, well, you know, how you live really doesn't matter. What matters is you have this esoteric uh, uh, intellectual experience, uh, visions and dreams, knowledge of God. It was really spiritual elitism. It was an incipient form of what we call Gnosticism, a special kind of knowledge. And you had to have this kind of knowledge, and if you had it, it didn't really matter how you lived. Uh, But John comes along and says, no, anyone can have visions and experiences. Just eat really spicy food, right? I'll never forget, I was, uh, I think it was at a a, a wedding reception, and they had served, uh, they had served steaks, and there was tons of horseradish and stuff on the steaks, and I was a little naive, so I took this big bite, and I got to tell you, I saw colors I've never seen before. (laughs) I had dreams and visions that I never thought possible. John is saying, no, the essence of our spiritual life in Christ isn't our dreams, it isn't our visions. He says, you will know you know when you live it. If you believe it, you will live it. So this is a behavioral, it's a moral, it's an obedient test. And it begins in the second half of verse 3. In other words, you will know you are a Christian if your life is changing. Now, we're not talking about perfection here. In chapter 1 and verse 8, he says we all have sin. Then in verse 10, we sin. So we're not talking about perfection here. We're talking about you care deeply about pleasing Christ and you're going to fail but you care about it and actually when you look back six months earlier or two years or six years you say man you know I haven't changed in this area but I've really changed in that area I'm more patient or I don't lash out like I like I used to to know God is to love God to love God is to obey God that's what John is saying here now I want you to see the flow so let's put this up on the screen beginning in the second half of verse 3 what John is saying our behavior reveals the genuineness of our faith it's a test how can we how how we can know then in verse 4 He says it reveals the authenticity of our profession. Then in verse 5, and I'll come back to verse 5, the extent of our love for God. And in verse 6, our commitment to be like Christ. John is saying, if you know Christ, your behavior matters. It matters to you. You're not perfect. But you have this trajectory in your life. You know, you know, now hear me in this, not because you're perfect, but because you're changing. You want to change. One senior pastor said, when I interview uh, uh, candidates to join our pastoral staff team, we all come together and I let the other staff members ask the detailed questions and I only and always ask one question. And the question I ask is, When was the last time the thought of the gospel made you weep? The thought of the gospel made you weep. 
And if they can't answer that, I don't hire them. Because I've learned there's a direct connection between a person's love for Christ and their obedience to Christ. How would you answer that question? When was the last time the thought of the gospel made you weep? Was it a song we just sung? Was it God speaking to you through his word? Was it the gospel incarnated in a friend, somebody around you? I mean, isn't this what it means to be in love? I mean, think of a young couple or, or anybody who's deeply in love. Uh, you know, marriage, um, a boyfriend, girlfriend. I mean, what do you want to do in those moments? Man, I'll tell you what you want to do. You want to do everything you can to please your lover. So you're constantly making adjustments. You're constantly making changes in your life. And so last year I learned Rhonda really likes This Is Us. So what is Rob doing? Rob is watching This Is Us. Now Rhonda's out of town, so I can say reluctantly. But we're doing it together. I'm just not a TV guy. You know, you're, uh, you just get married. I, I mean, you've just been married, and you knew going to the, into this, but man, you're seeing it all over the place that your, your spouse, well, she is a complete and total vegetarian. And you love her with everything in you. So what do you do? You say, I'll become a vegetarian for the first month. <laughs> you know, maybe six weeks. But to be in love means we are constantly changing. We are doing everything we can to please our lover. The same is true with God. This is verse 6. Look at verse, verse 5, I'm sorry. This is a point of verse 5. Our love for God is expressed. It's made complete. It's made full. It becomes mature in our changing, growing obedience to Christ. Man, you can't believe what I was like, what my tongue was like, the language I used before I came to Christ. My problem with alcohol, my problem with this. But man, I am changing. Now let's say you have a pride problem. Now we're talking about behavior here. So that pride problem manifests itself in your life in that you're pushy. Uh, you're harsh. You're, you're, you're selfish. Uh, um, you're impatient. John is teaching in verse 5 that you cannot, you cannot be dominated by pride without forgetting the gospel. In that area, that place in your life. Uh, you cannot be dominated by pride without forgetting uh, the wonder of what Jesus did for you on the cross. Without forgetting your union in Christ. Without forgetting that even though Jesus was rich, he became poor for you. Even though Jesus was holy and perfect, he allowed himself to be broken into pieces because he loves you. You are proud because you are the center of your world, the center of your universe. And you have forgotten that there is only one center, and that is Jesus who allowed himself to be crushed for you because he loves you. And you have forgotten the gospel. And so John links obedience to our love for God in verse 5. In verse 6, to our living in him. In verse 9, to walking in the light, walking in the gospel. So why are you so proud? 
You attend church, but you've forgotten the gospel. And everybody around you sees it, but you may not. The only way you will get beyond your pride and the behavior that follows as a result of your pride, the only way you will push through a problem, push through a difficult uh, situation, is when you draw a line straight from the gospel into that area of your life, into that behavior, into that failure, into that problem, into that circumstance. Oh, Jesus did this for me? Why in the world am I doing this? He loves me that much? And I'm going to stick a spear in his other side? Or let's say you feel defeated. Let's say uh, you feel just so discouraged or, or, or you hate yourself. And there's this tremendous insecurity, anxiety bubbling up in, inside of you. Now there can be all sorts of things going on. Biochemical, family of origin, current circumstances, the fact that you're tired. But sometimes I wonder for us as Christians, if part of it is, part of it is the pressure we place on ourselves to be good. That we reduce our Christian experience to thinking this mistaken notion that if I perform, I'll please God. So there's lots of things that go into this, these notions of self-defeat and inadequacy and all that. But I'll tell you one of the things, at least one of the things that is going on, is that along the way, our problem has become bigger than the gospel. Bigger than the reality of what Jesus has done for us. And so instead of living in him... We live in our problem. We dwell there. And we forget the gospel. We forget the cross. We forget the wonder of what Jesus has done. And so our hearts get out of whack. And when our hearts get out of whack, our behavior follows. Let me give you a, a different definition of obedience than probably what you're used to. Obedience is drawing a line straight from the gospel to your behavior, to your struggle, to your issue. And it's recognizing you don't just have a failure in this area, but, but you are failing to enjoy your salvation. The wonder of it. Now let me go on, and I'll be brief here. How do we know that we know? Beginning in verse 7 through verse 11, John says, because we love others. So our love here in this section is revealed in our love towards others. By the way, these three themes of confidence, character, and love make for great discussions in your small groups, your life groups, your rooted groups, and great discussions around the dinner table. So you wrestle with the question, do I know for sure? Do I know that I know? Is my behavior changing? Hey, help me, what do you see? Uh, you know, am I becoming more warm, more, more gentle, more engaged with people? Now let's go on. I want you to see verses 7 and 8. 
Because John here seems to contradict himself. Because he says this command to love, and we know he's talking about the command to love because that's how he unpacks it in verses 9, 10, and 11. In verse 7, he says it's not new. Uh, um, It's old. Yet then in verse 8, he says it is new. Okay, Rob, here we have one of the contradictions in the Bible. How in the world can you believe the Bible? Well, hold on. Uh, let me explain. Uh, John is using uh, this in, in, in different senses. So he's saying it's not new in the sense that you knew at the moment you came to Christ. It's not new because it's as old as the Old Testament itself. Leviticus 19.18, love your neighbor as yourself. It's not new. It, it's, been around. it's not even unique to Christianity. We love others. But then he says it is new in Jesus Christ because this love became flesh and Jesus gives the model and the motivation for a love that surpasses anything, I mean anything the world has ever seen. Now hang with me on this because this is so important for us to understand what's going on in our culture. Now it's true that throughout history we have seen incredible examples of love that involves costly sacrifice. These are some of the great stories of the human experience. But never have we seen a story like Jesus. No one has ever endured what Jesus Christ endured. No one's ever gone through it. Totally perfect, totally innocent, totally condemned. God said to Adam in the Garden of Eden, love me, obey me, and I will bless you. He said the exact same thing later to Abraham. But to Jesus, God said, love me and obey me, and I will crush you. I will crush you for their sin. God never said that to anyone else. No one ever endured the torment Jesus did. I mean, fully God, fully man. Yet on the cross, God turned his back on Jesus so that he would never turn his back on all of us who believe. Furthermore, as Jesus went through all of this and experienced all the abuse, the rejection, the torture, man, his only response was one of love. Father, forgive them. Love and forgiveness. In other words, Jesus waded through an ocean of agony to rescue us from our sins and to free us to love. I mean, really, tangibly, love others. Now, here's the cultural issue. People today who do not believe in Jesus, do not believe Jesus existed, do not want anything to do with Christianity, cannot believe a love like this ever happened. They have no categories. So is it surprising as these twin foundations, these twin pillars of loving God and loving others erode in the world around us, that we're going to live in a culture. Is it surprising that we live in a culture that is increasingly hostile, vindictive, racist? 
murderous? No, no, not at all. You cannot understand love. You cannot live a life of sacrificial and humble love apart from Jesus Christ. There's no foundation for civilization. And that is our world. Now let me speak to you as a Christian. Your ability to not hold a grudge, your ability to forgive others, your ability to stop bad-mouthing people, your ability to press into the needs of the needy, your ability to comfort the, uh, the afflicted, only comes when you look, to the extent you look at the world through the eyes of Jesus. So what I, I'm saying is we have love problems. We have problems in our marriage. We have problems in the marketplace. We have problems uh, all around us. We have problems in culture. Uh, we have love problems because we have a Jesus problem. And the only way you and I are going to get to loving our neighbor and loving others is by, is by drawing a line from the gospel into the lives of others. This is what Christianity offers the world. Loving God and loving others. Let's pray. So Father, we exalt you, we worship you for what you have done for us in your son, what, as John says, we have seen in him. By your spirit, open our eyes that we might see the wonder of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Church, would you stand with us?